0: Good morning, everybody. My name is Harriet, for those that don't know me, and it's my privilege to be reading the Bible for us today. But before I do that, I'm going to pray for us. Thank you, Father, that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. Open our hearts to receive your word, that we may know you better and be thoroughly equipped for every good work through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The Bible reading today comes from the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 10 to 17, and that can be found on page 1199 of your church Bibles. So that's 2 Timothy, chapter 3, starting at verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, And have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning everyone, my name is Prash, I'm the senior minister, a very warm welcome to you if you're uh, with us today. Um, it's lovely to see some visiting kids here um, in our kids program and uh, adults if you're visiting or new or back after a few weeks, it's lovely to have you. Uh, let me, uh, th- this, this month we've been spending time reflecting on our vision and mission. This is just a way of saying, we've been thinking about what's our purpose, place and priority uh, given our context and um, I'm going to pray for us before we, we reflect both on that piece of Scripture and, and us as God's people. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we do pray that now uh, your Holy Spirit would uh, work in our hearts and minds, uh, giving us a, uh, a clear sense of your message, and so transforming us into the likeness of Christ. And We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we continue the series by, we, we've been thinking a little bit about the core characteristics of our church here at St. Stephen's. Uh, we don't want to be introspective, ov- overly introspective, but we do want to take a moment to reflect on what is what are the healthy um, characteristics of God's church, given our, 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 our sense of where we want to be. We've looked at Scripture and we said, we, we want to be a church that's uh, beautiful, diverse, and large by the gracious work of Christ. That's our desire, our longing. Uh, that's shaped by Scripture. So, How do we get there? What does it look like? And over the last few weeks, we've been talking a little bit about some of those core characteristics. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about praying, and we laid that down as the foundation. Praying big prayers shaped by the gospel. Last week, we talked about bringing our friends to faith, our conviction uh, to share the, the core message of the Bible, Uh, and what Christ has done with our friends, family, and neighbours. This week, I want to talk a little bit about the place of young people. Throughout the Scriptures, there is a constant picture of God's people when they're gathered together, being a diverse bunch of ages and stages of life. Uh, It's pretty common. uh, In the Old Testament, we see pictures of families and households uh, from raging from young children all the way to old people. The promises of God are given both to young and to old. Uh, the, the, um, the, the key figures in the, in the Old Testament are both young, young people and old people. Uh, the leaders of the early church are both young and old. The command is for the young to respect the old and for the old not, um, not to disrespect the young for their age. And so there is this constant picture in Scripture of a diversity of ages. We talked about a diversity of of cultures and ethnicities in the picture of Scripture, but there's also a diversity of generations. In fact, part of the great promise of Scriptures is that the message and the work of God will continue throughout the generations, not just in one generation, and we're obviously the recipients of that. We're the beneficiaries of that, aren't we, because we hear the gospel because previous generations, not just the last generation, but obviously from the time of the early church, have passed on this gospel. So I want to think a little bit about the place of young people. The real challenge when we think about faith in young people is that it is pretty hard to hold on to your faith. NCLS, we talked about this survey instrument last week, surveys churches, not just Anglican churches, broadly speaking, churches of all denominations, and one of the key findings of NCLS is, is that most people, 75% of people, come to faith under the age of 20. It's a quite fruitful time for people to come to know the Lord, to explore their faith, and, and therefore to make a commitment the sobering truth of NCLS, though, is that in the subsequent 10 years, the early first 10 years of adulthood, 50% of those people drop off in terms of certainly their church attendance and most likely their deep convictions about faith as well. That's sobering. And so to think a little bit about the place of young people in the church is to come to terms, I guess, with that reality that though young people hear the gospel, as they go on, many of them leave it behind. It's also the story, I guess, for some of us in this church, those of you who have children who uh, love church, they, they um, heard the message regularly, but now as adults don't believe it anymore. And if we believe that this is great news and that God's pattern is to keep passing on to the next generation, this is of primary importance to us as a church, actually. That's why our third kind of core characteristic is we want to be people who grow the young in their devotion to God's word. That's our so, praying, bringing, growing, growing the young in devotion to God's word. Now, it can be easy to describe the drop off in faith in young people as a result of the culture which we live in. My microphone, I'm sorry, it's really bumping. I've tried to adjust it, so if it bugs you, my apologies. It's easy to describe the drop-off in faith uh, as a result of the culture that we live in. Uh, is, it, uh, we do live in a world now that is, I guess, less inclined to a Christian worldview, to Judeo-Christian ethics, and so we could ascribe the drop-off in cultures to that. People are more opposed to the Christian faith than they have been for certainly the last 25 to 30 years, if much longer. We could ascribe it to that. But the Bible actually... It challenges us a little bit in this. It says that that is not the primary reason why people leave the faith. In fact, if you look at this passage that was read for us from 2 Timothy 3, here's what Paul says, a very sobering verse. He says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. This is sobering, but it's realistic too. If you follow Jesus, you're not choosing the easy path. In fact, Jesus, of course, says, don't choose the wide road, choose the narrow road or the narrow gate. The choice to follow Jesus is, has been universally, historically speaking, a choice that's actually a difficult choice to make. Perhaps if you have experienced it as a, a choice of comfort, you're in a very unique and unusual position. Because for most people, through the history of the church, it has been a choice that has in, meant they've encountered great discomfort. Paul describes it as persecution here. And this is, of course, very much true for the early church. It's true for the church uh, in certain parts of the world even now. Uh, there, there are many countries in the world which where to become a Christian is to invite great hardship into your life. And yet the truth is also that in those places the church continues to grow The answer to why young people leave the faith and the solution to that is not found in simply creating a culture which is more comfortable for them. Jesus, interestingly, tells a parable in Mark 4. It's called the parable of the sower. Maybe you remember it. Jesus tells the the story of a farmer who seeds the field, and the, the seed falls in different places, Interestingly, the seed which doesn't grow, i.e., the faith which doesn't flourish, is seed that falls in places which sometimes we might think would be conducive to growth. Here's some of the reasons he says sometimes seed fails to grow or faith to flourish, fails to flourish because actually, if the worries of life, life is so full. You have so many things on, you're so busy. Your life is clouded by a whole heap of worries. He says sometimes the seed fails to grow because of the deceitfulness of wealth. The comforts of life actually can crush faith. We think, oh, no, actually, wouldn't it be easier to trust God if everything was easy and good? But actually, Jesus paints a different picture. He says, actually, in fact, the desire for other things, a life where you have full access to all sorts of things in life, doesn't necessarily result in a a flourishing faith. He says what you need is a deep faith. He talks about the seed which goes deep into the ground, has rich soil which flourishes. It's a a really nuanced message. The Bible is not saying surround your children with a, a culture and an environment that has a completely Christian worldview, and therefore they'll flourish, actually. But it equally doesn't say that if life is... Hard it will flourish either. It's this nuanced worldview of of spirituality and growth and flourishing. So what's the solution? Well, I chose the passage this morning because it's part of a little letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. It's actually Paul, one of probably Paul's last letter written. Some people call it like his last will and testament. And he's writing to Timothy, who's a young man. he's He's kind of giving him his last instructions. And in this section of the letter, He is trying to establish Timothy. He's giving him the tools to establish his faith so he might keep going. And so it's quite helpful for us as we think about that. As we read through it, there are two kind of pillars, two planks on which he says a strong, resilient, flourishing faith in a young person is built. The first is modelling. So you see this in verse 14. He says... Continue in what you have learnt and become convinced of. In other words, let your faith flourish. Don't let it die out. Right? Don't be that 50% who drop off. And how? Why? Because you know those from whom you learnt it. He says, actually, one of the ways that your faith flourishes is through the modeling of those people who have taught it to you. Actually, earlier in the letter, he specifically says, the, one of the, the key influences in Timothy's life was his grandmother and his mother, Lois and Eunice. It's a, a picture, it's a reminder, actually, of the importance of modelling in the, in the deep spiritual flourishing of children and young people, the role that parents have. Anglicare did a, a survey of, of, of Christians, and they asked them who was the most influential person they, they had in their life, and number one on the list by a long way, was parents. 67% of people said parents were the key influence in the spiritual welfare, the spiritual flourishing, the life, the spiritual life of their child, their faith, was their parents. Modelling is so crucial. And modelling is more than just being a Christian family, so to speak. See, belonging to a Christian family is only helpful if the family points you to Christ. This is really important. It's not enough to just identify as a Christian family. In fact, the the real insight that Paul brings here in his letter is that the people who teach you about Jesus the most have to have a coherence about their life. It needs to match up with what they say. You can't say, follow Jesus, but in your life, do something different. My mother-in-law is a great example of this. If you ask uh, my wife Emily or any of her siblings about this, one of the things they always describe about their childhood, they're all believers, is their mother. They come home from school, there's her Bible on the kitchen bench, or they'd see her reading her Bible at the kitchen bench in the morning, it's just a memory that they they constantly had. It was part of her life. It was something she was committed to in her own life. As much as reading the Bible or taking her kids to church was a commitment for her and for just for raising them, her own life lined up with what she described as important in words. Her father, uh, Emily's father, uh, he worked in, um, in a corporate job and he had to travel around the world, but he had a commitment when he came when he landed, even if he landed at six o'clock on a Sunday morning from Heathrow, he'd be at church at nine a.m., probably falling asleep in the back pew. Uh, But he'd be there. He'd be there because for him, this was important. But also, it was a sense that this is is a, a, a tool, an important tool to show his children the importance of the Christian faith in his life. We have a practice now, which we've kind of tried to bring in, picking up what we've learned, I guess, from my, my, my parents-in-law, that when we go on holidays, we always, if we're on holidays on a Sunday, we always go to church somewhere. It doesn't matter if we have to drive there, we don't know anyone, there's no kids program, we go because we don't want our children... I, I mean, I work at a church. The last thing I want my kids to think is that I come to church because I get paid to come here. There's a, there has to be a coherence in our life if we want our children... To believe what we say we believe. And I'm not making this up. This is Paul. Paul says, one of the great planks of your faith, Timothy, is the model you've received from those before you. And he names them in the first chapters, Lois and Eunice, his grandmother and his mother. Interestingly, here's a little aside, uh, in the same survey data, it talks about the parents, who's more influential. Mum's just totally outstripped dads on this. It's like 70 to 30 or thereabouts. Good on you mums. Dad's got to lift our game, got to lift our game. And it's, you know, the parent, the parent number is lifted by the mums because actually it's mums, then things like Sunday school teacher, youth group leader, and then dad is like fifth or sixth on the list. It's not enough to put food on the table, right? We, we got to take this seriously. But it's not just modelling, it's, it's not just the lifestyle of people. There's a second plank because Paul then goes on to say in verse 15, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. It's this combined thing. It's the life of God's people lived out, but it's the Bible. I mean, he's probably talking primarily about the Old Testament in his context, because the New Testament was still a bunch of letters floating around churches at that time. It, it gets compiled into the New Testament about 50, 60 years later, But um, nonetheless, Paul's point is that these scriptures given to us by God are crucial. They're crucial for raising people in a deep, flourishing faith, right? For helping our children to really know God. And why? Because he then goes on to say in verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed. He's saying, when you open the Bible, as one writer says, it's the very breath of God on you. It is God speaking to you. It's, this is a deep. This is a very important. This is a very important conviction. If you don't believe this, you won't. You won't embed the scriptures in your life. But if you do, if you really believe that every time you open, and we say it when we read the Bible this morning, we have this little moment of liturgy where the Bible reader says, "This is the word of the Lord," and we say, "Thanks be to God." Now, I kind of just go through the process of that every Sunday, maybe. But we say it because we're trying to remind ourselves. God has spoken to us. The Bible is unlike any other text. Every other text we can stand apart from, kind of take it, leave it, mangle it, mold it, you know, appreciate it, and then move on. But the Bible is, when we read it, is a moment we believe where God is actually speaking to us. Uh, We might not physically feel His breath on us, but in a sense, that is what is happening as we read the Scriptures. Now, if you don't believe that, that's a, I, this building is always filled with people with varying views. But that's what Paul says. And that's why Paul says, actually, if you want to raise your children, you want to raise them with the Scriptures, at the heart of who they are. That's the foundation. It's not Paul, though, alone. In fact, Paul is probably picking up Jesus' own teaching in the Gospels, because this is from Matthew 4 where Jesus, is, this is the account of him being tempted in the wilderness soon after his baptism, and the devil tempts him. And one of the ways he refutes the devil is by saying, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is centering Scripture, and see how he's describing the Scriptures from the very mouth of God. Right? There, is, there is no distinction between what we read and what God says to us. And if that's true, that's why, exactly why you would want to, you'd want to centre your child's life on the Bible. Now, we've been thinking about our vision and mission. Uh, we want to be a church made beautiful, diverse and large. And actually, I want to say that all of those three things are a result of the Bible in the life of people. See, The transformation that takes place is when we read God's Word, when He speaks to us and He shapes us, and His Holy Spirit's at work in us. But it's also true that in order to raise people in the faith, then they need to, be, they need to encounter the Scriptures. I've talked uh, over the last few weeks for us as a church, and if you're visiting today, we're so glad you're here, and you can take what I have to say and decide whether or not you agree with it or not. This is, this is a little moment of introspection, but bear with us. I think it's worthwhile you'll get a sense of what we think is at least important as a church um, we said there's four i said there's four strategic pieces to our life together right things that we really need to focus on and make primary uh, we've talked about outreach uh, that, that's our, our whole a whole kind of way of thinking about helping people to explore the christian faith we've talked about our midweek gap groups bible study groups I want to talk about kids and youth ministry, which I think is the third and important piece in it. And here's how we've kind of described ourselves. We've said, in partnership with families, we want to flood a pathway which takes children aged 0 to 18 from unbelief to biblically shaped act of faith. That's what we think, that's how I describe what, what we need to do, you know, as a church, what we need to commit to doing for the next number of years, probably for many years. And I've chosen the words deliberately. First of all, it is in partnership with families. This is the reality of what we're, we're hearing. We, we can run programs, but parents, it's up to you. Okay, You're the primary discipler. You are the person God has given the primary responsibility to, to raise your children, and we will never replace that. You are the person primarily responsible Don't be overwhelmed. We are here to do it in partnership with you, though. So what we provide is here to help you, okay? It's not to replace you, but it is definitely here to help you. We want to, say, flat a pathway because we just want most children to know the Lord Jesus. We want every child to know the Lord Jesus. But it's a pathway, which I guess suggests that there there are different stages for your children and at different points in their own growth. Age and maturity, and, but we really believe that every stage is actually important of life. Okay? It doesn't kick in when they get to 12 or 13. We want them to have a biblically shaped faith. Biblically shaped. So this is why, you may, if you've been part of the Kresh ministry now called Gumnuts, you will have seen this if you're a parent or if you're a leader. We have worked very deliberately in that ministry over the last year and a bit to bring um, the Bible into that content on a weekly basis. Because we think that from even the age of one or two, your children can understand things about God. We want to give them a love for the Scriptures, not feel like it's something that's been added to their life later with no choice, but it's something they've grown up with and grown comfortable with uh, in in an age-appropriate way. And finally, we want them to have an active faith. We want children to be part of the life of our church. We want them to be engaged in ministry with adults. We want them to be engaged in um, seeking their friends, serving their friends, bringing the gospel to their friends. That's part of what today is about. We want to give young people the opportunity. Evangelism and sharing their faith is not just an adult uh, activity. So this this is what we think we should be doing as a church, as we try to prioritize the place of young people in the life of our church. In partnership with families, we want to flood a pathway which takes children aged zero to 18 from unbelief to biblically shaped faith. Unbelief to biblically shaped because just because you're born into a Christian family doesn't mean that you believe the Christian faith. We don't want to take that for granted. We want to give our children every opportunity to hear, understand, and believe the gospel. Now, if we think about the child's life um, as this, this kind of intersection like Paul's describing of modelling and teaching, right, this ecosystem where you keep experiencing this, I think this has some very clear um, implications for us as individuals and as a church. Firstly, modelling. Parents, you have to take on the responsibility of prioritising the spiritual welfare of your children. Okay? You have such a great responsibility. It's a joyful responsibility because when you do, you're confident that God goes with you in that task. But it is your responsibility. But it's not just parents because one of the things we love about this morning service is the multi-generational nature of it. Children learn from adults as they engage with them. I loved last, two weeks ago, one of our parishioners, was; she's in her late 80s, she was playing basketball with some of our kids outside in the sun. She's, I love that. First of all, I hope I can play basketball. And I can't play it now, actually, so I probably can't play when I'm 80 or older. So physically, that was quite an quite a impressive task. I, that's a great moment where children get to meet not just their parents, but other adults who know and love Jesus and have centred their life on the gospel. We really believe in that. So it's modelling of parents, but it's also modelling of of you and I, who may not be their biological parents, but have been given a responsibility and an opportunity. But it's also teaching. And this is why I think we need to continue to improve our gospel ministry to kids. We need to continue to improve our teaching. One of the great uh, things that's happened over the last year is regular teaching uh, training times for those who are involved in kids and youth ministry, uh, month-termly, I want to encourage us to commit to that. And finally, I want to say something about... It's not on this, on this, but I think it's really helpful for the life of our church, which is I would love to see us um, establish a financial base which allows us to fund children's and youth ministry into the medium-term future, like I'm talking 20, 25 years. Uh, one of the challenges that Stephen's had, you may be more newer to our church, so you're not aware of this, is that we have at times increased our staffing but not been able to maintain it. So we've thrown a little bit more energy into particularly children's and youth ministry but then we haven't maintained it so it's dropped off. We've had a kind of constant turnover of staff in this area as well. What we really need is staff who are long term committed to this ministry, like 5, 10, 15 years of commitment to see a couple of generations go through this ministry. Uh, Some people in this building, well, I may not be at this church in 25 years, I may not be on this earth in 25 years, some people will definitely not be on this earth in 25 years. But you can provide for that generation going forward. I think that would be an amazing gift for this generation at St. Stephen's to have established the next generation of St. Stephen's going forward. Now, that's St. That's, Stephen's, that's how we've tried to put into practice what we've read in Scripture. The question, though, might be still, why is this the thing that's worthwhile investing in? Why is a, a biblically-shaped faith, why is the Christian faith even that important to young people? Probably 80% of the building don't need me to tell you this, but there might be 20% out there who think, oh, I'm not convinced, you know, maybe actually a, a world that's more secular, that has less religion is good. And I can understand why you might say that, given some of the division that religion causes. But what is it about the gospel and the Christian faith that's worth passing on? Well, Paul kind of finishes his little paragraph here with a really great reminder of the value of the Christian faith. He says in verse 17, it thoroughly equips you for every good work. The purpose of being established having this deep foundation and flourishing spiritually as you are established for every good work the christian faith m- makes people into well-rounded resilient other person-centered kind generous people over the course of time look at paul he actually gives him his own life as an example. And it's not just an abstract. Timothy knows this. He can verify this. And this is what Paul, coming to faith, has done for him. He says, you, however, know all about my teaching. So he understands the truth, but he also, my way of life. He, he knows. Timothy knows what his life is like. It coheres with what he said. And it's, it's challenging. He says, my purpose. Paul has come to find himself, understand himself, In light of a greater story. We're all looking for a isn't that one of the great gifts we want for our children is to have a sense of purpose and place in the world. And Paul says that's what the gospel has done for him. My faith, the patience, love, and endurance that this picture of a deeply resilient, emotionally, spiritually resilient person. That's who Paul is. He says, You know that. See the impact of my faith. See the impact of knowing Christ. And so actually when we build people on the Scriptures, when we build their faith on that, that's the outcome, Paul says. Isn't that a great gift to give our next generation in the midst of the tumult of the world? To say, here is something that cannot be taken from you. But it's even more than that, of course. The reason we, we want to centre our children on the Bible is and the central message of the Bible, which is the gospel of Jesus, is that it makes us, what Paul describes in verse 15, as wise for salvation. The Bible, you see, does what nothing else in the world can do, which is to prepare you for the great test at the end of your life. You know, I, I, I'm i always surprised. I walk through chats with... There's, a, there's so many... Um, like institutions, shops, organisations who do tuition in Chatswood. There's one, um, there's one shopping mini shopping centre, which has about eight of them just in the one shopping centre. And on Saturdays, you see like queues of people lined up to go into their class for tuition. I mean, you add on top of that sport, after school stuff, uh, music, dance, uh, I don't know, karate. We're a culture that's all about training and equipping our young people for life, aren't we? We've got a whole myriad of things that we want to set them up and establish them in. But there is, of course, one test that's coming which none of them can prepare them for. It's the test we don't normally want to talk about. We have euphemisms like the pearly gates and meeting St. Peter. But deep down, we're worried about that for ourselves, we're worried about for our children... It's the great test. But Paul says, actually, when you establish your children in the faith that comes from the Scriptures, founded on the Gospel, you are made wise for that great test, that test of salvation. And you're made wise for because the Bible reveals something nothing else does, that it is through faith, not through what you've done. You see, the cha- the, all those other things that we're preparing our children for implicitly tell them it is about what they do. It is their competence which is key. The Scriptures is the only place. This is actually what's unique about the Christian faith. It's the only religion which says it has nothing to do with your competence. Actually, Paul says by faith because he's implicit in saying not works. By faith, not by what you've done, but faith, of course, in Christ Jesus, and it is the Bible is the only place where your children will meet Jesus. They won't meet him in their imagination. They certainly won't meet him in the worldview that our culture inhabits now. They will meet him in the scriptures. They will meet him as God's, when God's people meet around his word. See, but when they meet Jesus, they find the deep assurance that on that last day, whenever that day will come, They are safe in Christ. And that, I think, is the best thing we can give our children. Not just our personal, biological children, but the next generation. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of the gospel and the gift of your word, your very breath upon us, which opens to us what is otherwise unseen, your heart, your mercy, your generous office of salvation in Christ. Lord, we pray for the next generation, those we are privileged to raise and nurture, that they would grow to know the Lord Jesus. They would grow to love your word, to find the privilege of hearing you speak to them. And as they grow to love it, they would find the deep comfort, comfort and consolation of a gospel of grace and mercy.